Hey, have you ever uh, found yourself in a situation where you had such high hopes for something, and then all of a sudden just watch it all crumble to pieces? I mean, you had invested everything, you know, that was in you, all of the power and determination inside of you into one particular thing. You had all these high hopes and then watched every bit of it crumble to pieces. It happened to one man in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, his story hit the news wire as one of those sad but humorous uh, stupid thief tales. Uh, actually, if you knew him, his story is probably more sad than, than humorous. But this particular gentleman wanted money. All right, and, and maybe he desperately needed money, perhaps he had a substance addiction or owed tens of thousands of dollars on a charge card, but regardless, somehow he got the idea to go into a grocery store, hand the clerk a piece of counterfeit money, and ask for change. And if it worked, he'd get a lot of money in exchange for his fake money. Now, it sounds like a pretty brilliant idea until you get caught and all, but this guy was a big thinker, all right? He was going well beyond, you know, just the uh, simple approach to this little scheme. He, if he, from his opinion, was going to risk uh, his own life or, or risk this fraud, he was going to do it in a way that would set him up for life. So he decided to try to pass off not a $100 counterfeit bill, uh, not a counterfeit $1,000 bill, not even a counterfeit $10,000 bill, but get this, true story, a counterfeit $1 million bill, all right? Uh, he, again, you, you can pat this poor fellow on the back for thinking big, but you, you also have to, to have pity on him for thinking badly. So first, you have to suspect it as you consider this, that the average checkout clerk in America doesn't have change for a million dollars in their drawer, okay? So first problem we run into. Second, you have to think that a $1 million bill is going to attract a little bit of extra attention, you know, that you hand somebody a million dollar bill at a grocery store, they're going to look around a little bit, they're going to take a second glance at it. And third, and here's the clincher, and in case you didn't realize this, there's no such thing as a $1 million bill, all right? Now, maybe some of you have them and you're feeling very fortunate. Well, I'm sorry to tell you uh, that I've got bad news for you. But the largest currency printed in the U.S. is a $100 bill. Well, so when this counterfeiter walked into the supermarket on that particular Saturday in Pittsburgh, holding that $1 million bill in his sweaty hand, just imagine, you know, his soaring hopes at the moment, but all to come crushing down. Soon he'd be able to pay his bills, you know, thought, buy a nice car, nice house, get all the things he ever wanted, never work a day in his life again. This would be a great day. Well, needless to say, his hopes were dashed. The checkout clerk refused to give him change for his bogus bill. The manager came and confiscated the forgery and his dreams went up in smoke. He got angry. He grabbed the electronic trans funds machine and slammed it on the counter. He tried to grab the scanning gun. I don't know what he was going to do with that. Uh, it's used to read product labels and the next thing you know, the police had him. He was in custody and his really good idea turned into a really bad idea real fast. You know, every one of us has gone to some desperate measures uh, in desperate times, you know, when we were needing some hope or needing some faith. You know, I have. Now, I've never tried to pass off a $1 million bill, but I'm sure we've got some ridiculous stories uh, that we could share around this room today. Um, but this morning, we're resuming this series, a series that we started a few weeks ago, where we're looking at a handful of the miracles that Jesus performed in Scripture now, I don't know about you, and I don't know what thoughts come to your mind when you see the word miracle and whether or not you believe miracles can happen or whether God still works miracles today. But I want you to know where I come from right from the beginning. I still believe in a God who, who works miracles. I believe that He has full power to do so. I believe that God can do anything. 
But I also know that it takes a lot of faith for me to believe that God can or that He will or that He's able. And maybe that's the same for you. It takes faith to believe that God still works miracles today. Now, Jesus, when He was living, and as we, re- re- as we read, you know, the accounts of, of, of the scenes and the stories of His life, we see that Jesus taught a lot about faith. He said, you know, even a little bit of faith can move a mountain. And even if you just have a little bit of faith that, that you can move a mountain. Now, isn't it usually the other way around for us? You know, I mean, we've got this faith, you know, this faith that we're learning Uh, this faith that we're growing in, but then all of a sudden a mountain emerges in our life or this great obstacle, this great challenge, whether it be financial or relational or or spiritual, whatever it may be, and we've got this mountain and then the opposite happens. Rather than our faith increasing in those moments, our faith decreases. You know, our faith takes a real hit. You know, these challenges, these obstacles come before us and rather than grow in faith, we lose faith, we lose hope. Well, as we take a look at another one of the miracles that Jesus performed this morning, Let's first start by taking a look at a biblical definition of faith. I think that's the best place to get our definition of faith. So if you've got your Bibles, take them right now and turn to the New Testament. Go about halfway to two-thirds through the New Testament to the book of Hebrews. Uh, We're going to start in Hebrews today, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Uh, So if you've got your own Bibles, go there for yourself, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. This is the great faith chapter. And let's start off by looking at this first verse to get a clear definition of faith. And here's what the writer says. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So faith is being sure, as it says. It's, it's being sure of what we hope for. You know, one tra- translation says that faith is the assurance of what we hope for. I mean, it means that our faith is a living hope and that it is so real that it gives us absolute assurance. You know, that this faith when we attain it, when we possess it, it changes everything about us. It changes our outlook. It changes our hope. It changes who we put our trust in. You know, it changes the way that we live. You know, we might say, you know, I want God to heal this wound in my life, or, or I want God to provide for my needs, or I want God to heal my marriage. And these are things that we hope for, you know, and it's not as if we're wishing to get them, but we believe that God is able, that He can, that He is, and He will. And we believe that God has that power. But faith is something else. Faith is also being certain, as this writer says in Hebrews. It's the idea that our faith requires a response from us. That if we are going to believe something to be true, then we need to act and we need to live as that something is true. It's living out what you believe. It's being certain that God can, that He is, that He is able, and that He will. But why is it, you know, that our faith in reality is more of that unsure and that uncertain kind of faith? Or or let me say it this way, why is it that that my faith, you know, is so often more of that unsure and that uncertain kind? I mean, I believe in in God and I am absolutely confident that He can do anything. But to be honest with you, I have an easier time believing, you know, this is just true, but sometimes in my life, I have an easier time believing that God will do it in your life, but He might not be able to do it in mine. I mean, look at it this way. I mean, you might come up to me and, uh, and you, might, you might have a friend that, that is not interested in Jesus or interested in church at all. And, and your question to me might be, well, Paul, do you believe that God can change my friend's heart? And I'd say, absolutely. I believe that God can change any heart. 
You know, He's changed the hearts of, uh, of these people that, you know, were baptized just a little while ago, and He's changed some of your hearts. And, and if you told your story, you'd say, you'd never believe who I used to be and how God has changed me and who I am today, or you'd never believe how much I doubted or how much I, uh, I didn't believe, but now I believe today. God changes hearts. He can do it. But in my own personal world, you know, if that person is my family member or that person is one of my friends, it, it is so easy for me to say, well, you know what, this is just an exception. You know, this person is so far from God, they, they just have such little interest, there's no way I can make a difference in their life. You know, God might be able to change your friend's heart, but I'm not so sure He's willing to change my friend's life. You know, I have an easier time believing in what God can do in your life than what He can do in mine, and that's a faith issue. Well, take out your Bibles, and, and if you've already got them open, uh, go back the other way. Go to Mark chapter 9. We're going to be in Mark chapter 9 today. And this morning, we're going to take a closer look at a guy who, like the man with the $1 million bill, was sort of desperate. All right? He was sort of desperate. And we're going to really, we're going to approach this miracle today, asking God to speak to us on this perspective of faith and what faith looks like in our life. And, and if you came uh, hoping or anticipating that I was going to preach to you today about what exorcism is like and how we can go about doing that, I'm sorry to disappoint you. We're not going to talk about that. But we're going to see this example of faith and what Jesus was really asking for this particular man here in this situation. Because we meet a guy who was out of hope. I mean, he had exhausted every resource, and, and we're going to sort of find that this guy had a, a sort of kind of faith. I mean, he sort of believed, he was kind of one foot in, one foot out, and, and he really wanted to believe in the power of Jesus, but he wasn't there yet. And so as we begin this story, let me give you a little bit of background, a little bit of context on what's happening. There's this boy who's living with an evil spirit inside of him, as the Scriptures tell us. And a group of disciples, a group of Jesus' disciples had tried to heal him. They tried to perform a miracle in his life, but they couldn't, they couldn't get the job done. And so all the Pharisees and other Jewish leaders were crowding around, and they despised Jesus, and they despised His disciples, and they saw this as a great opportunity to discredit Jesus and His disciples. And so when we get here in Mark chapter 9, there's this disagreement taking place in this crowd, and people were pointing fingers and questioning one another, and Jesus walks into the middle of it all, and that's where we pick up in Mark chapter 9, beginning in verse 16. Here's what Jesus said. What are you arguing with them about, He asked. A man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they couldn't. So let's just stop here for a minute. And I want you, if you can, if you can use your imagination at all, to try and take your life and put your life into the place of this father. Suppose you've got a child. Maybe he's a teenager now, but for his entire life he's been suffering. You know, he's got this, this disability or this illness or this pain that's in his life. I mean, can you imagine the pain of watching your child try to go through the pain and all of the hurt? And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know it better than I do because you've had children who have had to suffer through some difficult situations. You can relate. You can relate more than I can. You know, as I think about this, I, I am reminded of how, how blessed I feel like Jenny and I are. And we realize, you know, that as the parents of three young children that we're fortunate to have healthy children. And, and, and there are times when I do a good job of thanking God for this, and there are times when I forget to thank God for this. You know, we had a little scare in our life. It was just a little scare when Luke, 
Uh, our, our middle boy, our three-year-old, was just a, a couple of months old, and we took him to the doctor for one of his regular checkups. And, and the doctor noticed that he was having a little bit of difficulty breathing, and that he wasn't gaining weight quite like he should. And, and he said, you know, hey, I'm, there's probably nothing to worry about here at all. I, you know, I don't want to, you know, arouse your anxiety or get your anxiety up in any way, but let's just keep an eye on this and just make sure it's not cystic fibrosis or something. Okay, have a good day. We'll see you later. And he walks out of the room. You know, and I mean, for Jenny and I, I mean, it's like this shock of terror that rips through us. I mean, I had a buddy who lost his sister to cystic fibrosis. And, and you know, to hear those words and, you know, the doctor may not have been nervous, but all of a sudden we were you know, and we drove home that day, and, and I can remember how anxious we felt, and, and even sharing some tears with one another, and just, you know, praying that everything would be okay, and, and fortunately for our little guy, it was nothing, and, and just probably the fact that we live in, lived in the allergy capital of the world at that time in Louisville, but, uh, you know, it, it messes with you, and, and if you've got kids, you, you know what that's like. It's amazing how much you worry about your kids, and, and the father in this story, he knew what it was like to worry for his son. Because his worst nightmare had come very true. And he was experiencing this intense, deep pain. And my guess is that right now there are any number of you in this room this morning that are going through some real junk in your life. You know, you've got this scene, you've got this situation. I mean, I've heard some of your stories. I've been privileged to have some of you share with me about, you know, the pain of the divorce right now in your life. Or, Or how difficult your marriage has been. Or, or you can't find work, or you've got family members that are looking straight at cancer right now, and how hard that is. And it's tough. I mean, it's rough for you, it's rough for them, or maybe it's affecting you, you know, personally. But I believe that what you're feeling is probably similar to what the dad in this story is feeling. I mean, I'm sure he would have loved to have sat down over coffee and asked Jesus, you know, why do I got to go through this? I mean, why us? Why our family? I mean, he's watched this boy grow up in pain, he's tried everything, every prayer, every doctor, and now the dad is crying out to Jesus on his son's behalf. He's carried this boy to find Jesus, he's exhausted all of his hope, all of his resources, he's like, I've tried everything and nothing works. Verse 19, Jesus replies, oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? I mean, Jesus is saying this to his disciples, who he's frustrated with. He's saying this to these Jewish leaders. How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me, verse 20. So they brought him, and when the Spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water. To kill him. I mean, I hear nothing but desperation in the words of this father. How long, Jesus? From childhood. I mean, since, as long as I can remember, he's never been able to enjoy life. I mean, here's the story. Here's all the symptoms. I've tried everything. We are out of options. We have no hope. There's nothing more we can do. Well, except... And as verse 22 says, but if, but if you can do anything, if you are the person you say you are, take pity on us and help us. I love those two words right there, but if, you know, if you can do anything. I mean, it's really the key word for this account. It's the word if. I mean, if you can do anything, if. 
if you will take pity on us, if. I mean, if you can. Jesus, I have no other place to go. I'm out of options unless, well, if. I mean, is that where you are right now? I mean, could that possibly describe your situation? I mean, we are out of options. There's nothing else that we can do unless if of... I mean, you've tried everything. There's no medication that can seem to get it right. There's no treatment that seems to work. You've gone as far as you can with your counselor. And he or she says there's no more options. Your savings account is exhausted. You've tried everything, and you've got a great big mountain in front of you right now that just doesn't want to move. And this morning, maybe you just come walking in here, and it's like, God, if you can, you might be able to. I'm not sure. You know, others of you are like, hey, I know God can. I grew up in church. I went to Sunday school. I read my Bible. I know the verses. I know God can. I know the Bible has taught me that. But what if this is one of those situations where I know that God can, but what if He doesn't? I mean, what if for me? I mean, that's the type of situation I often find myself in. I know He can. I just wonder if He will. And like this guy in this story, it's kind of a sort of kind of faith. I mean, it's one foot in and one foot out. It's, it's half-hearted. I mean, I think God is able to. I've seen Him do it in other people's lives. I'm just not so, so sure He's willing to do it in mine. But look at Jesus' response back to the man in verse 23. Jesus replies, if you can. If you can. I mean, this is one of those situations where the voice inflection would help us to better understand what Jesus is getting out here. Because we don't really know if he's being sarcastic. What do you mean, if you can? You know, do you know who I am? You know, I'm not sure that's the approach that Jesus would have taken. But I do think there's some frustration in his voice. There's a frustration that people just don't get it, that there's an unwillingness in them to believe. And so there's some sympathy and some sensitivity in his words. But let's remember that there's a crowd of Pharisees watching too that Jesus just gets really frustrated with. And he was frustrated by their lack of faith. So Jesus said, if you can, said Jesus, and then note these next words. Everything, if you're reading in the NIV, is possible. How much? Jesus said, everything. I mean, let's just hang on those words for just a moment. I mean, this is just for us right now in this room. If you're looking at your own Bible, you might even want to underline those words. If you underline in your Bible, underline those words. Everything is possible. It's your memory verse for today. And I'm going to guess you've already all got it memorized. Everything is possible, Jesus said. Everything is possible. So, what's that mean for me? Well, does that mean that Jesus could heal my daughter? Yes, everything is possible. So, does that really mean that Jesus could restore my marriage? Yes, everything is possible, Jesus said. Does that mean that Jesus could help us get through this season of unemployment right now? Yes, absolutely, no doubt about it. Everything is possible. Well, does that mean that Jesus could really heal the cancer in my friend's body, even though as bad as the report is? Yes, without a doubt, everything is possible. Well, does that mean that Jesus could heal this depression in my life? Because I've spent years in a counselor's office. I've taken every medication that you probably can. Uh, Here's my story. Does that mean that Jesus can heal my depression? Absolutely, yes. Everything is possible. Does that mean that Jesus could heal me from this addiction? Yes. Everything is possible. Everything is possible for who? As Jesus said, he or she who believes. And we find right here, we discover right here that there's a bit of a responsibility upon us. 
when it comes to faith. Because in this particular situation, Jesus was asking this man to believe first that God was capable and able and willing to do what was being asked of him. And there's a responsibility on you and I too when it comes to faith. Because we must believe, and it's being certain of what we hope for, as Hebrews says. It's being sure of what we see. Do you believe? I mean, followers of Jesus that are here today, do you really believe that God is capable and willing to do what He has promised that He will do? Do you believe that everything is possible, as Jesus said? Are you willing to take those words as truth in your own life? I mean, do you believe God will? And I know it's not easy, and I know it's enough to drive you crazy, and you risk losing your mind, and you risk losing your friends because you want to believe. You know, I want to believe. And again, you know, this dad here was about to lose his mind too. He was, about, he, he was willing to trade his health for his sons. He knew he couldn't do that, and so he turned to Jesus. Jesus, could you heal my son? I mean, this is the one thing I need you to do in my life right now. And some of you are in that real place of desperation right now. I mean, you've got one thing. I mean, I don't even need to ask you what it is, and it's already coming to the front of your mind. You've got one thing you need God to do in your life right now. And you need Him to come through in a big way. And, it, and maybe it's heal this relationship or take away this fear, raise my self-esteem, give me some answers to this health situation I'm in, give me a husband, you know? And what's Jesus' response? It's all possible. Everything. Verse 24, immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. The word here is exclaim, and, and what did he exclaim? Well, he's basically saying, I do believe, sort of. I mean, I really do, I want to, but I'm struggling to believe. I, I know I'm supposed to, and I know the answers to all the questions, Jesus. Help me overcome my unbelief. I mean, give me the ability to believe in you and to trust in those things that you've said. The word here for the word exclaim is the Greek word kratzo. Uh, the word means to croak like a raven, all right? That's kind of a funny sound. It means to scream. I mean, so this is no casual response on the part of this man. This is passion. This is desperation. This means, hey, I'm going all in on this one. I'm laying everything on the line here. He wants to believe, but he still has doubts. I mean, we all want to believe, right? I think we can all agree that, that, that we want to. We want to believe, but we, we all have doubts. You know, I have doubts. You know, you have doubts. I mean, we all have these doubts, and, and every one of us kind of has these deficiencies in our faith. You know, I mean, every, you, know, you, you do great, but because of these deficiencies, they, they kind of pull against, you know, our growing faith at times. We kind of re revert back. I mean, we've all got weak spots, and maybe it's just a poor understanding of what faith really is. I was trying to think about how these manifest themselves in our life and how we do crazy things and we really kind of think it's faith. You know, the first thing is that, you know, sometimes we, we think we, we're all about signs, sign-demanding faith, you know? It, it kind of looks like this. We've all done this before. You know, God, if you'll just give me a sign, you know, then I'll serve you forever. You know, I'll go to a nunnery or I'll join a monastery or whatever. I won't sin anymore. And so give me a sign that you're in this. I mean, do something miraculous in my life right now so that I know that you're in this. And then do you know what the next thing we do is? Well, it sometimes looks like this. We take our Bible, we sit down all by ourselves at our desk or our table, and we just, we, we start magically thinking about, okay, what page do I want my fingers to land in? Okay, and so the question is, 
God, am I going to meet my future husband this year? And we find the page and we open it up and we pick the verse immediately. 1 Samuel 29 verse 1, the Philistines gathered all their forces at Aphek and Israel camped by the spring in Jezreel. Okay, so then we wonder, okay, what do I do with that? What's God trying to say to me? All right, where's Jezreel and uh, is, is my future Romeo there? Okay, now how many of you have done this before? Don't lie. Don't lie. Put your hands up. You're in church. I know that you've done this. My hand's up because I've done it before. Not about a future husband or anything, but, but you, know, uh, you know, my wife and I just celebrated 11 years yesterday. So, um, but, uh, you know, we, we've done that before. We, we've tried to play that game with our Bible. You know, we ask God these questions, and so we just take our Bibles up. We open to a random page. I mean, yeah, sure it's possible. You know, that God will do some crazy things. He'll do some miraculous events in our life to get our attention, to get us on the way, to help us to make progress. I mean, the Bible's full of examples. I'm just not so sure God is as willing to do these miraculous signs today. He is able, no doubt about it. But I, I, I think He's trying to get us somewhere else. Now, consider this. Suppose you're on vacation with your family, all right, as we think about signs, and you're on the interstate, and all of a sudden your three-year-old informs you that he has to go to the bathroom. Okay, now you at that moment are forced as a parent to play the game and to ask the question, is he just being difficult or does he really have to go? And, and so you've been there before, you know what this is realized, and so next you realize that the intensity of his screams and all of the shaking around isn't, isn't ending. And, and you come to realize that this is not a drill, this is not a false alarm, and it's time to take action as soon as possible. This is the real thing. But there's no bathroom anywhere in sight. There's no exit. Now, if he's a little boy, no problem, all right? And, and thank God for little boys because if needed, you can pull over to the side of the road. And let's just suppose you don't want to get out of your seat and you put the electronic, push the electronic sliding door opener and that sliding door opens. Your child gets out of their seat. They don't even have to get out of the van. You know, they just stand on the edge, you know, make sure the wind's not blowing in. You know, you got to park on the wrong side. And Now, I'm not saying we've done this, all right? All right, maybe we have, you know. I mean, you do what you got to do sometimes, all right? And if you've got a declared emergency, you pull over to the side of the road. All right, now back to the analogy. I think I'm getting a little off track here. Suppose that you're better parents than we are, all right? You're a little more humane, you know? And you, you start looking for a bathroom. You start looking for a place to take your child. And all of a sudden, you see a sign approaching on the road as your child's screaming. And the sign says, rest area, 25 miles, you know? And you know you've got a real problem. Now, I may have lost you in the whole point of this story, but it all just comes down to this. You know, just waiting for signs, you know, doesn't relieve us from, uh, sorry for the poor choice of words there, uh, from having to still take the journey, all right? I mean, there are still 25 miles to go. I mean, the point is this, don't put your faith in signs. You know, just, don't just keep testing God for signs. Well, you know, God, I, I know that maybe I feel a little more confident about this, but I need another sign. I need you to do this, and if you do this, then I'll move ahead. Uh, signs I don't think are as reliable as we like to think, but there's another sort of faulty faith that we embrace, and it's just what I call secondhand faith. Now, how many of you grew up in homes where there were some strong Christians around you? And maybe it was mom and dad, or maybe grandma and grandpa, or, or something, but you had a real, you know, spiritual rock in your family, and, and you went through the motions as a kid, you got baptized, maybe you were confirmed, uh, you attended church, but as you got older, you kind of were given the freedom to make your own choices, and so maybe you got away from, you know, being as in, in regular attendance, and, and faith for you never really became personal. 
Um, it, it was just kind of as long as grandma or dad was praying for you and you were pleasing them, great, and it never became your own faith. But there's no such thing as secondhand faith. I mean, sure, it helps if your parents are praying for you, but when does that faith finally become your own personal faith? I mean, there was a time when Jesus was questioning His disciples, and He asked them, I've heard what everybody else is saying about me, but who do you say that I am? Guys, that's my question for you today. Who do you say that Jesus is? I mean, who is He for you? I mean, it doesn't matter what your parents think, it's what you think, it's what you believe. Who's Jesus to you? Do you believe that He can, that He's able, that He's willing, that everything is possible? And finally, there's a, a last sort of kind of faith that's wrong and dangerous, and it's just what I'll call self-centered faith. You know, this faith sort of plays out like this, you know, we've got it all mapped out. We've got our whole life mapped out. Okay, God, I'm graduating from high school. I'm going to get into my first choice of colleges. I'm going to get into this particular major. I'll date for a few years. My senior year, I'm going to meet the man of my dreams. We're going to hook up. We're going to get engaged. We're going to get married. We'll graduate from college. We'll get our dream jobs. We might move away for a few years, but just before we have kids, we're going to come back to the area. And because he's a neurosurgeon, you know, I'll get to stay home and we'll have these children together and everything will go great until things don't work out like that. I mean, we've prayed these prayers. We've mapped out you know, these sort of things. And then we're forced to question God. I mean, God, where were you? I mean, what happened? You know, what happened to my plan? Why did you let me down? I guess you don't love me. And it's the self-centered kind of faith where we, we sort of believe in God so that we get, you know, what we need out of Him, you know, that, that He's this genie in a bottle or something, you know, and you got to love Him the right way. Is, is that Paul Abdul that sang that song? Is it Paul Abdul? Come on. Who is it? Oh, Christina Aguilera. Sorry, my bad wrong gal. Uh, you know, but then he's like this genie in the bottle for us. How come you know that, Carrie? <laughs> you got teenagers. Well, I'm not sure if the father in the story fell victim to any of these, but he demonstrates some faith. His faith was just lacking, and he wanted to believe. He wanted to have greater faith, but he couldn't. And so how about you? I mean, do you really want to have a greater faith to believe that everything is possible with God? I mean, Jesus, give me the faith to believe, and that's your prayer. Well, I want to just give you really quickly a couple of things to, to lean on. And, and I think I've been a little discouraged coming into this message today because I didn't really feel like I had anything fascinating for you. I really believe God has just kind of wanted to strip away my pride and make sure that there's one truth proclaimed loudly here today, and it's a truth that comes from Him. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says, Consequently, faith comes not from hearing a message by your pastor, you know, or not through a friend, not through a counselor. Faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the Word of Christ. I, I just want to leave you with this today. Friends, we can grow in our faith. We can have a greater faith if we're willing to read the Word of God. I mean, our faith doesn't come from people or from the government. It doesn't come from bank statements or cliches or Oprah, you know, from good luck charms or magic eight balls even. I mean, faith comes from reading the Word of God. I don't think I can say it any more clearly. I want you to read your Bible. You know, before I came to this church, I met with a, a pastor who I got to serve with. His name's Bob Russell. He's going to be here to preach in November. He's a great guy. And I'll always remember what he said to me. He said, Paul, the greatest advice that I can ever give to you is this, preach the Word of God. Because when you preach the Word of God, stuff happens. 
Friends, my words for you today are this. Read the Bible because when you read the Bible, stuff happens in your life. You know, I have weeks where my faith isn't as strong, and when I look back, I realize it's because I've gotten away from reading my Bible. And I want to encourage you to read your Bible every day, you know, even if it's only for a couple of minutes. And maybe you're like, well, I don't know where to start, and I've tried that a thousand times, and it doesn't work for me. Time to try again. You know, find a Bible that works for you. Find, find a reading plan that helps uh, direct you through the Scriptures. If you're having problems with that, any of us on our staff would be willing to help you and getting a good start. Uh, in your bulletin today, I've included some verses that I want you to take some time and work through. And, and maybe just an exercise for you this week or in the weeks to come. Uh, it's right under the sermon notes section, and they're just verses on faith. And, and I just went through my Bible, and I just picked out a, a variety of verses. There are so many more that I could have listed here. Um, wouldn't it be a great exercise for you this week to say, you know what, I'm going to give this a try. I'm going to read a couple of these every day, or maybe you're going to be real ambitious and read them all every single day. But just pray and say, God, uh, you've told me that if I read your word, that you will light my path, uh, that you will give me wisdom, that you will give me direction. Uh, would you take some time to, to read your Bible? And, and I'd love, how to, love to hear how you're doing in that. Uh, you know, you can email me or I'm on Facebook. You can get on Facebook and send me a message. Uh, maybe you run across a verse that's not listed here that you just say, hey, God really spoke to me through this verse this week, and, and here's why. Uh, but I want to encourage you to read your Bibles because, you know, here's the problem. I, I think we, we spend a lot of time looking for signs, and, and we try and get advice from other people, or we look for that particular message. And sure, God communicates in all of those various forms, but I believe there is one undeniable promise that God has given to us that will never let us down, and that is that if we read His Word, He will speak to us, that He speaks to us through Scripture, He's already given us an entire book that will lead us and guide us and encourage us and show us how He loves us. And so let's call Him out on that Scripture. I mean, let's hold God to His promises. But as you read His Word, there's another step that you're going to need to take in order to increase your faith. And that's you're going to have to act on it. I mean, that as you read these words, you're going to have to put them into practice. You know, Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, it's one of the verses I included. It says, trust in the Lord your God with all of your heart. And lean not on your own, your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. There's one phrase in there that always jumps out to me, and it's the word that says, or the, ver- the phrase that says, in all your ways acknowledge Him. You know, that, that God is saying, hey, here's an idea. Live obediently. Live as I've asked you to live. You know, don't mess around with your boyfriend. Don't mess around with your girlfriend. You know, be honest when you're filling out your expense report. In all your ways acknowledge Him. And here's the promise that God has given to us, and I will make your path straight. And so he's requiring something on his end of it all. And there's some other verses too that you can look at, but don't just read them, but act on them. Don't just believe in them, but believe them. You know, there's a difference. The Bible says that even the demons believe in God, but don't just believe in the power of God's Word and His promises, but believe them. Take hold of them. James chapter 2, verse 26 says, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. So faith, you know, faith without any action is dead. You know, that's why there are some really spiritually dead places around the world today. I mean, if you go to, to Europe, you know, Europe is full of them. You know, once the, the center for change and passion for the Word of God, Europe is full of churches today that are nothing but museums because nobody goes to church there anymore. And you know why they've been turned into museums? Because people quit believing. People quit believing in the power of God. They quit reading their Bibles, and their personal faith was replaced by reasoning and, and people turning away from their faith in God. And so my prayer for you today is that God would give you the strength 
that God would give you the power and that He would give you the faith to believe that He can. And my prayer for this church is that we would be a growing community of people who place everything, all that we have, in the full power and faith of God. Because either we believe that He is a God who can and that He is willing, or we're nothing but a bunch of phonies. And there are people that will walk into this room and they'll see right through it. And so either we believe that God is real or that what we do here on Sunday is nothing but a waste of everybody's time. I mean, we'd be better to stay home and watch infomercials on television on Sunday morning. And so my prayer is that God, that you would give us the faith to believe, that God would give us the strength to believe, and that God would give us a passion for His Word. Last thing, we go back to the story, and this man was pleading, and Jesus, can you heal my son? And Jesus reply, everything. Everything is possible to those who believe. Verses 25 and 26, it says, when Jesus saw that a crowd was running into the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit, you deaf and mute spirit. He said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Verse 26, the spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. And the boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. If you finish the reading of the story, Jesus brought him to his feet. This boy was changed, and this father was changed, and they were never the same. What happened? The father's prayer was answered. Jesus did something, but he did something more than just heal this boy. Jesus, in this moment, gave the father the power to believe. I mean, it came from Jesus. And the greatest miracle is not that the son was healed. The greatest miracle is that the father's focus was transferred from a son healed, and it was transferred to the belief in everything that Jesus came to be. I mean, this man's focus rested on Jesus. And that might be the miracle that God wants to do in your life. And sure, He might want to change your circumstances to work out to be exactly what you've hoped for. But I believe the greatest miracle that you can count on is that God will work in such a way, if you're willing, that He will take all attention away from your problem and He will put your attention on Jesus instead. And when that happens, you'll know it and you'll feel it and God will satisfy you. Let's pray. God, my prayer for, for me and for my friends is that you'd give us the faith to believe. God, would you give us the faith to believe that everything is possible, that you're a God that still works today in many different ways. God, I pray that we'd be motivated and inspired today through the work of your Holy Spirit to take our Bibles and to spend time reading from them and to count on the fact that you've promised that you'll speak to us as we read them that you'll increase our faith. God, would you increase our faith today? Uh, give us the power to believe in Jesus and what he is able and willing to do. And it's in his name we pray, amen.